Let me see it. I have made it a habit of always bringing something back for my kids when I am uh, away on a mission trip. And um, I purchase these things believing that they will not only uh, uh, want them, but possibly even need them. Um, I, I, went, I came back from Cuba last year and uh, brought these uh, cookies and um, noticed the package is still closed because uh, they tried them and these are awful. Um, several years ago, I went to the UK, I went to Scotland, brought them back these bagpipes. Uh, the bag inside here does not inflate. It makes it very difficult to play an almost difficult instrument. Yep. A couple years ago, I was in Siberia. I brought them back this Angry Birds book. It's a calendar. thought they could really use this. I wasn't thinking they don't know Russian. Um, it's still on their, on, their, on their desk. You know, I think they're just being nice to me. They just kind of set it there. Look, Dad's so nice. He brought us a gift. I mean, it's Angry Birds, for goodness sake, you know. Um, we have the greatest of intentions when it comes to giving gifts. I don't always return with the greatest gifts. Betrayed, crucified, dead, three days in the grave, Jesus comes back. He is alive. And in the next few moments, as we worship together, as we look at some scenes together of his post-resurrection experiences, what we will discover is he has seven uniquely different conversations that expose the gifts that Jesus came back to give. And they were not just significant for those first century followers. As a matter of fact, these gifts are significant for us today. We're going to jump right in, as a matter of fact, and uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to June, to June, to John chapter 20. That's a different book. You may not have that book in your Bible, June, <laughs> to John 20, verse 11. And I love the gifts that we're going to uncover here because, you know, it just... It just reveals how very true Luke chapter 11 is. Because what does Luke chapter 11 tell us? It says that even we as dads who strive to give our kids good gifts, I mean, we don't always give them the greatest gifts, but here's what Luke says. Listen, surely your heavenly father knows how to give the best gifts. John 20, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, And then he begins to give them what it is that she is to do as a result of meeting with him in that conversation. We'll look at more of that in a moment. In Matthew 28, 
verses 9 and 10. It says this. It says, And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see, in the conversations that, she, that Jesus has with these women, what occurs in these conversations is we discover that not only are they sad, but they're also afraid. There's a lot of fear in this moment. Their, uh, their world has unraveled, and even though he has so tried to prepare them for this moment, still, in this moment, emotions have overwhelmed them. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they had returned to the tomb. It was, uh, the Sabbath was over, and now these ladies had prepared to, to, uh, to basically prepare Jesus' body with a more proper burial, to actually put some additional spices upon his body and to prepare him in a way that they deemed would be even more appropriate. But you see, what happens is they come there expecting maybe somehow, some way, the Roman guards would let them in to the body. But as it turns out, they become the first witnesses to the resurrection. This actually gives more credence, more credibility to the whole experience because you see, in that moment of our history, women's eyewitnesses didn't amount to anything. So surely if they were trying to just make something up, then the very first witnesses that would have been recorded would have been men. If they were trying to really beef up this account, then surely it would have gone a different way. Still visibly overwhelmed by the events of the last several days, Jesus meets them in their sadness, in their fears. And did you catch what he says? He says to Mary, he says her name, Mary. This is personal. And can I just suggest to us tonight that Jesus makes it personal? That he meets us in our tears and in our sadness and in our brokenness over our sins. That he meets us in our brokenness over relationships. He meets us in our brokenness that we feel about the circumstances that are swirling around us or maybe those that we love. Maybe the consequences that people have brought upon themselves or maybe the reality that just this is a broken and difficult world and life is hard. Because of the broken heart we have for those close to us often going through different difficult times, we may even feel like hope has become diminished. But Jesus steps in and he brings hope. He awakens hope. He brings comfort just as he did to Mary. He brings courage to take another step. I think what's so nice is that all of us gathered here tonight really are living perfect lives. You know, we don't have any broken relationships in this room and all of our bodies are fully healed. And I mean, we're just happy as a lark. As a matter of fact, we're all just kind of living the Lego movie. You know, everything is awesome is our theme song. And that's good. You know, I'm glad that we all came in here that way. That, that's not really how we came in. As a matter of fact, my experience with being around church most of my life is that there's a good percentage of us that barely got here. We barely got here because the pain that we feel is significant and palpable and ongoing. And you walked in with a smile on your face, barely. Now, you had to put it on after you got out of the car. But on the inside, your heart's broken. 
and you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid of the next bill that's about to come. Maybe you're afraid of the next test result that's about to show up. Maybe you're afraid of what you're going to see on your kid's cell phone. Maybe you're afraid of what your boss is going to say on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. And Jesus is in this moment. And here's what I believe. I believe that he's calling every one of our names. That in the midst of the sadness and in the midst of the fear, Jesus is interested in speaking your name. And if you thought for some reason, wow, this is an awkward time for a sermon again because we've only started two songs. I just wanted to invite you into this moment. Into a moment that Jesus wants to meet us right where we are. And say, you know what, you might have not been prepared for this, but I've been preparing you for this all the way to your seat. And would you maybe in this moment allow Jesus to speak your name? Let's pray. God, we're just going to meet with you tonight and let you minister over us. And just be honest and try to block everything else out. So God, in this moment, in the midst of a group of people that have a variety of things going on, some not so good, God, will you speak our name? So Jesus reminded us in that very first conversation with those women at the tomb that he certainly does bring comfort. That he brings into our lives the opportunity to find peace in the midst of whatever it is that we're walking through. And you know, um, that's what the church helps move us into. It's one of the reasons why so many believers gather every week in small groups and in large group communities all around our world to come together in word and worship in community to be cared for by the Spirit of God as we live and breathe in the midst of all the challenges that we face and allow our name to be spoken. But you know, it's not only that gift that Jesus brought. There's another conversation we're going to look at. It's a conversation where Jesus also begins to show us how he brings wisdom in the midst of, wow, so much doubt that we feel, so much doubt that we may have. He brings clarity to that. He brings wisdom to our confusion, but he also brings great truth to our doubt. John, John 20, 26, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand out and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in another conversation that we're about to have that was a part of Jesus' experience, Thomas was not a part of that experience with Jesus. He wasn't there with the disciples. So in this moment, Thomas was in great doubt because, you see, it was in this moment 
that he was thinking, wow, they're probably delusional, probably pretty tired. We haven't slept. We haven't eaten anything. Our master's gone. Everything has changed. But in that moment, Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, he does something really incredible. He invites Thomas into an experience that Thomas had told the disciples, listen, this is what's got to happen. I'm going to have to touch his hands. I'm going to have to experience his side. That's going to have to be the reality for me. And as if, ha ha, Jesus was in that moment, Jesus allows him to experience those things. The doubts were there. The emotions were at peak performance, physically exhausted. Thomas struggling to believe he needs Jesus. But you know what Thomas needs Jesus to do? Thomas needs Jesus to come all the way down to him. He needs Jesus to come all the way down. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you would say, you know, that's what I need is I need Jesus to come all the way to me. I've got a lot of questions. I show up, I come here, I experience this, but you know what? There's an awful lot of questions that I have about God, about Jesus, about Christianity. Maybe there's just a lot of confusion. I want you to look at this next post-resurrection conversation with Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 24. It says that very day, two of them, two of these Individuals were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? (laughs) And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. Now we start to see the confusion But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Fast forward in the conversation, Jesus begins to speak with them, begins to unload on them some historical reference to himself and to the events that have unfolded. And then we will come back into verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Here's the transformational part. And they rose that same hour, just once they had discovered it was indeed Jesus who was having that conversation with them. And they f- returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen Indeed. So these guys on the road to Emmaus are confused. They believe that what Jesus had come to do was to be the Messiah that would rescue them from the rule and reign of the Romans. And they were ready for it. But something crazy happened along the way 
of their deliverance. He died. And with his death, so their hopes. Their expectations had not been met. Jesus, pretty much in this passage, rebukes them. He tells them, Listen, guys, you wouldn't be moping along this road right now with sad faces if you understood what really just happened. Because you see, the Messiah that you were so confident in who was going to do the Freedom Act of all Freedom Acts actually did rise from the dead. And him alive changes everything. It changes everything. And so while he's speaking with them and sharing with them this reality, it becomes so surreal, right? Because he's talking with them about these truths incognito. But can you catch with me what's happening? The word, the word is speaking to them about the word. The truth in that moment is taking them to The truth. And as the word, as the truth, Jesus Christ encounters them with truth. They walk away. No, probably they run away. Forever changed. Did you catch the end? Here's what they're yelling out. The Lord has risen indeed. Cleopas and his friend, they were struggling. I mean, they had their list of questions. There are a lot of questions that are out there. I get it. A lot of questions about God, about Jesus. Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ, they kind of set up this whole top ten list of most frequently asked questions that people have about God, Jesus, Christianity. I've put them on the board. How do you know there is a God? How can there be a God when there is so much evil and suffering in the world? How can you... Reconcile belief in God with science and especially evolution. How can you trust the Bible? What about the hypocrites in the church? How do you reconcile God's sovereignty with man's freedom? How can a loving God send people to hell? How can a rational person believe in the Trinity? How do Christians get off saying their religion is the only one? Don't all religions lead to the same God? A lot of heavy questions there. Maybe some questions in that mix that you still have unanswered, that are still kind of resonating deep inside of you. I tell you, some of the good news about those questions is that this is a church that likes to dig deep into, at different times throughout the year, apologetics or stepping into the difficult, challenging questions that Scripture poses and answering those questions. You may have walked in tonight in your mind chasing some of those very questions, but could I suggest to you that what God has been doing is chasing you? Matter of fact, he's pursued you all the way into this moment. And his invitation to you is truth, to the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. That the Bible isn't just a book of helpful sayings, but a collection of love letters that come straight out of God's heart to ours. And that we desperately need him for the forgiveness of our sins. I'm reminded of this latest trip that we went on to uh, to Cuba, and um, um, it was uh, it was in a different town from where I bought the nasty cookies. But um, 
we were in Holguin, and Holguin is one of the churches that uh, is, is the city where we have all of these church planters that our church is supporting, about 37 church planters there. And one of the churches that we support, I was preaching in on a Sunday morning, and after that service was finished, there was this lady who had come in. And she, 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 had, she, she had walked in to experience uh, the service, and she was there at the conclusion of it uh, asking just one question. And the one question that she had was really significant because this lady had lived her life in the cult of Santeria. Uh, Santeria is kind of this uh, uh, voodoo, kind of white magic, black magic, uh, uh, animal sacrifices, uh, ancestral worship, uh, idol type religion. It has really just swept over the country of Cuba over the years. Matter of fact, you see those who are committing, who are covenanting their lives to this quote-unquote religion as the final 30 days of their initiation, they walk throughout the streets in all white. And it almost brings chills down your spine as you walk around the streets of Havana or Holguin, and one by one you see a person walking in all white and all white and all white. And your heart breaks. And this lady who had come in, she'd already experienced all that years before. Now she was fully embedded in. As a matter of fact, she was so very deep into Santeria because generationally her family had been a part of it. Her actual covenant to Santeria occurred in a cemetery because of how deep her relational ties went. And you know what the one question that she had for us at the end of that service? She just asked this question. This Jesus that you talk about, is he stronger? Now, we just sang a song at the beginning of the service about him being stronger. And I got to tell you, it's one thing to sing it. It's another thing to risk everything on that truth. But she was in desperation asking us the question, is he stronger? We asked what that really meant, and she said, is he stronger than the one that I see as clearly as I see you? The one that torments me day after day after day, the one that I feel his hands on my shoulders, that I feel his hands holding me down at night, is he stronger? Is this Jesus you speak of stronger? Yeah, he is. As a matter of fact, this Jesus that we speak of rose from the dead and he is alive today and he's alive to bring you salvation and in those moments those next moments she prayed and asked Jesus to be her savior and her king and you know this lady found freedom and I want to suggest to you that she found freedom in a God who is stronger and that the beauty of the testimony of that church is that there were people, literally the church pastor suggests upward of 25% of his church has come out of Santeria, has been delivered from that occult. And those people gathered around her. Matter of fact, they were going to her house that afternoon to help her walk through the process of getting all of the idols out of her home. You know, the living testimonies were walking with her in her life, doing what the church is supposed to do. 
There are people seated all around you tonight who are living testimonies of the grace and freedom and mercy and salvation of God. Now, I was nine years old, and I wasn't participating in the cult of Santeria. But I was a nine-year-old kid growing up in the Heights in Houston. It doesn't really have anything to do with Santeria. But I was hanging out there with my brother and my mom and my dad going to church. And in that experience, going to church as a nine-year-old, our church didn't have a pastor. Matter of fact, we had a visiting missionary. He was a missionary on furlough. He was there for a year in the States. He had been in Africa. He was an eye doctor. And uh, so he was an eye doctor slash missionary coming to preach for our church for a year. And on a Sunday, a hot Sunday in July, he shared a very simple gospel message about Jesus who died on the cross for me. And the reality of those truths went straight into my heart. As a matter of fact, that reality, I like to say, came and leapt off of the flannel graphs. Those of you who are old enough understand that verbiage. And became reality for me in 1977. So what I would say to you is, whether you're nine years old in here, and all of a sudden you're sensing maybe Jesus really is real and I need to know him as my Savior and King, or whether you are 60 or 90 and you've been bound up, maybe not in Santeria, but you know what? We're all bound up in our own sins, in sins that separate us from a loving God forever and ever and ever unless we say yes to Jesus as Savior and King and realize that he came to die a death that we deserved so that we might have life that we don't deserve forever and ever and ever. Now's the time to take out that card. I'm going to ask you to do it. It's under your seat or it's in the seat pocket in front of you. And it's a card that just says, I commit. I think it says, I commit on it. It's a, it's a card. And we're just going to ask everybody to pull it out. Connect and commit. Because here's what we are. We are a church who wants to walk with people through the process. And so you may be here tonight going, you know what? I just pretty much come at Easter or I come every so often. I'm not so sure that I'm ready to do anything other than just head out to the Easter egg hunt in a few minutes. I get that. I do. I understand. But I also understand that I am convinced that God has pursued every one of us into this moment to say something to us. And that something can be expressed on the front or back of this card. And so we're going to play another song. And I'm not going to do some sort of traditional everybody come down front moment. Instead, I'm going to invite us to worship together. And it may be that you stand. It may be that you sit. It may be that you sing. It may be that you just contemplate. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be very, very comfortable with the answer to these questions by the time you leave. The first question, if you were to die today, do you know that you would spend eternity with God? And the second question, if you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Would you be able to say, Jesus is real to me. What I know is that Jesus is stronger than what my sin has been in my life. I want you to take a minute.
And I want you to just evaluate where you are with God as we worship him together in song, in stillness, in prayer, in contemplation. Jesus brings comfort to our sadness and courage to our fears, wisdom to our confusion and truth in our doubt, but he also brings redemption to our failure. There's another conversation that Jesus has, another appearance. It's with disciples on the beach. They've been fishing. Jesus is about to have some breakfast with them around a campfire. It's interesting that Jesus chooses a campfire as the setting because here's Peter at the campfire. No, it wasn't so far in Peter's memory just the other day when he was at a campfire denying Jesus. But at this moment, I can't help but wonder if Jesus strategically places him in that same type of setting again. Takes him back to the scene of the crime to help him move on. In John 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him, The third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three denials. And Jesus gives Peter this moment of redemption, of reinstatement to start fresh. And the moment wasn't lost on Peter. As a matter of fact, if you go into his first book that he wrote, In the New Testament, what you find in 1 Peter 5, 3 is that he speaks to the elders of the church and says to them, you need to shepherd in an excellent way with the example of Christ. I can't help but wonder if that shepherding mindset was in his mind and heart because God placed it there at this campfire. You see, he gave him mission we are not redeemed just for the purpose of redemption we are redeemed for his glory as we move on in his mission several years ago i was introduced to a sport that's really taken over our youth camps and children's camps and all types of different events where children are Uh, Some of you may have experienced this. We've got a short video clip. Our students just experienced this sport in a really significant way on a Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. It's the sport of Gaga Ball. Now, they had Gaga Ball Madness, and um, you know I, I'm not here to just talk to you about how this golden Gaga Ball first place trophy was won by my daughter, Riley, as the winner of the middle school tournament. That would be, so, that would be silly. That would be, I mean, I would, I would never think of doing anything like that. Um, but um, while we're here talking about it, um, uh, she, she did, in fact, win that. And, you know, she won because she was the last person standing in the octagon. 
It's really, it, it, what it really is, it's, it's, it's dodgeball in an octagon, right? But you can't hit the person above the waist, and the only way that you get out is if the ball hits you below the waist, or if you, in fact, hit it with your hand, because you can only use your hands, and it goes out of the arena. And so she was the last person standing, and she won. Now, I, I have to say that as I think about Gaga Ball, it takes me to the beach with Peter and the fish and Jesus. You say, how? <laughs> Randy, we've been with you in sermons before. This is a stretch, even for you. Here's how. Because in that experience, if you go over there on any Wednesday night and watch them in the inflatable Gaga Ball experience, you watch those kids get out and immediately they are back in again, right there at the gate, ready to jump in for the next game. And I mean, they would, they would play that game all night long if they had the chance. If the lights didn't go down and finally the staff said, it's time to go home, they would consistently, every time they got out, come right back in and get ready to go again and again and again and again. And I just wonder, what if we live like that? What if when failure happens, we confess and repent and Jesus redeems our past failures and we get anxious to get back in the game? Even though we knocked it out, whenever we said those words to our spouse or we acted that way with our kids, even though we got hit in a significant way by the enemy because we let down our guard and ended up exposing our heart or our mind to images that we should not have. There's all different ways where we wind up outside for the time being. And what Jesus says is, listen, in this moment, I want you to live in the freedom of forgiveness and get back in the game. And that's what he told Peter. Because we've been redeemed for a purpose to glorify God as we live out his mission and plan for us. And that is an amazing gift of Jesus. Jesus brings redemption to our failure. The last conversation, last two conversations we find Jesus having have to do with him doing something else for us. And it really is attaching everything and putting a nice little bow on it for our sermon. It has to do with the reality that he gives us mission for our life and power in our effort. Let's watch the video. So Jesus has these last conversations with them about mission. And I fuse these two accounts together. Matthew 28, 19, 20, part of what pulls our mission statement as a church into reality. It's go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But that's not the only thing that Jesus did. He, he didn't just tell them to go with the good news. He also told them to go. And by the way, you're going to have power when you do it. Look at Luke 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. As you've probably noticed, as we've kind of looked through these passages quickly, Jesus brings a variety of things. He brings hope. And he brings a gift of comfort. And he brings courage and and truth, but in the midst of it all, he also brings mission. I mean, think about the women at the tomb. What did he do there? 
He gave those women their next step. He said, go tell the good news. Jesus is alive. God knows that in our sadness, in our fear, you know what often happens? And he knew this about those women. Oftentimes in our sadness and in our fear, we become paralyzed. Now, maybe not externally because we still kind of go through the motions of our life. But that sadness and those fears paralyze us in our relationship to God and in the mission that he has for us. We think we're not worthy. We think we can't do anything. We think he would never want to use us. But you know what? When he brings hope and comfort and courage, he does so with the intention of saying, here, this is going to kick you out of that paralysis. Jesus gave them a next step. He says to go to the others. You know, those so sweet men and women in Cuba saved out of the cult of Santeria. If you were to speak with them, if they were to come here today and give you a description of their church, because we've talked with their pastor, you know what they would say? They would say, we are strategically placed in these neighborhoods as rescuers. Do you see yourself as a rescuer? Or for whatever reason, are you paralyzed? You see, Jesus met Thomas in his doubt and pushed him toward the mission. I loved the end of that video where you saw Thomas's face there. Getting up, going, moving on. You know who else was in that crowd? Peter was. They were there because what Jesus was doing was not only helping them with gifts of comfort and hope and courage and truth, but he was also giving them mission and the power to do it. You've been strategically placed in Flower Mound, Louisville, Lake Dallas, Roanoke, Corinth, Highland Village. You've been strategically placed there in your family, on that job, in that neighborhood, on that team. In these moments, to be a rescuer. You've got a mission. He brings, no doubt, comfort to our sadness and courage to our fears. He also brings wisdom to our confusion and truth to our doubt. He brings redemption to our failure, but he brings mission to our life. And he brings power to our effort. And I don't know about you, but those are really, really good gifts. So at the risk of closing in a way that would make you think that I made something up, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happened this week anyway. Sometimes God just allows pastors, I think, to experience things for moments like this. Maybe that was why our family experienced it. But Lindley, our four-year-old, in a conversation this week in our house, asked the question, um, when did God die? Well, baby, um, he died on the cross for us. She asked, is, is he still dead? You know, we've been talking about Easter. We've been talking about, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's here. We're, we're in this moment, right? Um, no, baby, that's, that's what Easter is about. You see, three days later, he came back to life. 
She thought for a second and she said these words. Good, because we need him. We need him to be alive so that he can make us alive. Now, I don't think that Lindley, my little four-year-old, fully understands those words yet. But that was a greater sermon than her dad could have preached tonight. We need him. Because he makes us alive. Will you bow with me? Jesus, (laughs) thank you for being in this moment with us. For being alive. We need you. Thank you for giving us such good gifts, the comfort and the truth and the courage and the wisdom to live another day in the mission that you've called us in. And God, for my brothers and sisters in this room right now, my prayer is that God, they would experience the life that you have for them. that you certainly indeed have come to give us life and have it to the full. And so God, in this moment, we say to you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is alive. Thank you that we can walk in forgiveness and grace and mercy. Thank you for giving us the truth And so, God, in this moment, we celebrate you. We celebrate knowing that it is in this moment that we live with a hope that is awakened and alive because of Jesus. Thank you.